Amen. Amen. Now, how ought we think about what it means to develop this student activity center? We're going to have a groundbreaking in a few minutes here outside. Is this a stunt? Is this a gimmick? Is this a photo op? Clear the streets and go over and get a picture. Or is this an expression of thanks? An expression of worship to our Lord, of sacrifice. I want to open the Bible and guide our thinking this morning and help us consider together as a congregation about what this day means to Calvary Baptist Church. It's a good day to be at Calvary Baptist Church, and God is at work, and I'm so glad you're here with us. We're going to turn some dirt over later this morning with a few shovels. But what ought our takeaway be from this day? What if God was using this day to build our faith? What if God was using this day to experience his glory in a fresh way? What if God was using this day to clarify why exactly we are doing this? Would not that go down in the annals of Sundays at Calvary Baptist Church as a good day to be here. Come with me to Exodus 40. Let's start at this good day for the people of God in Israel. Now, I'd like to go two different directions in looking at Exodus 40 this morning. First, I want to crawl into the history of Exodus 40 and realize its similarities with what's going on here today. But we need to get a fix on the history. And then, secondly, I want to turn and I want to go three different directions from the scripture on what this day means to Calvary. So first, it was a good day for Israel when Moses dedicated the temple. That's Exodus 40. Let me read a few verses and open the chapter. I will not read the whole chapter. I would encourage you this week, you might even enjoy reading the whole chapter this week. Exodus 41, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meat, of the tent of meeting, and you shall put it, put in it the ark of the testimony, and you shall screen the ark with a veil, and you shall bring in the table and arrange it, and you shall bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps, and you shall put the golden altar for incense before the ark of the testimony, and set up the screen for the door of the tabernacle, and you shall set the altar burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting and the place of the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it and you shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen for the gate of the court. Now come down to verse 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him so he did. Forward to verse 33. And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled this tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up 
from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeyings. Hear the word of the Lord. Now first, it was a good day for Israel when Moses dedicated the tabernacle. Now according to chapter 19 and verse 1 in the book of Exodus, Moses begins to lay out some time parameters. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So after the Red Sea, they marched for three months up to Sinai. Then Moses goes up the mountain, and he's gone for three months. And then we come to chapter 40 and verse 2. He has come down. They have had six months of gathering materials on the first day of the first month. You shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting. So on the first day of the second year, they're one year since bondage, they start the project. It would be a six-month build-out for the tabernacle. Now, notice in Exodus 40 that Moses led the people of God to do everything that they could do. Verse 16 is really a summary characterizing the whole chapter. This Moses did. What is the antecedent to this? It's everything that God asked him to do. In fact, 13 times in 14 verses here in this chapter, Moses is given instructions from God. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. You heard me read some of them. They were instructions to be obeyed. Notice what happens is this summary in verse 16. Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. If you look in verse 19, there's a phrase that's three times repeated, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 21, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 23, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Here the people of God learn firsthand that the way to blessing is the way of obedience and faith. Of course, in gospel lyrics, we've been singing of that for a generation. It is trusting and obeying, which is the way to follow Jesus. So this chapter lays out the fact that Moses led the people to do everything that they could do. But the second thing that this chapter makes very clear was God was out in front, and the book of Exodus makes this clear, God was out in front providing what only he could supply. And God supplied everything they needed through his people, through what he had given his people. Now we have supply chain issues now coming out of, coming through whatever we are in the midst of in COVID. There are real supply chain issues. It's been disturbed. But here the supply chain is pretty simple. God gave to the people of God. Secondly, the people of God gave to the project. Come back to verse to chapter 35 for a moment. Look at verse 5. Here's Moses' instructions. He addresses the people. 
Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, he goes on to recount how they bring in these assets. You remember when they left Egypt, their relatedness to families in Egypt after the plague, it was two things, their relatedness, and after the ten plagues, the people fearing God said, here, whatever you want, take my jewelry, take my earrings, take my necklaces, take my gold, silver, and bronze, just take it with you. It is said that the Israelites spoiled the Egyptians. What was that, for their indulgence? No, it was God being way out in front to provide what they needed in the wilderness to put up the tabernacle. God was helping them. Now, in verse 21 of chapter 34, a curious phrase is used. It, it's, it's the phrase, the Lord's contribution. 3521, I'm sorry. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of the meeting and for all of its service and for all of its holy garments. Now, what's interesting is that they are characterizing these gifts that they brought as the Lord's contribution. Now, if they would have had a treasure who was sending them a letter at the end of the year because they were using the long form in their uh, tax return, and they would give them a letter, oh, here is what the Lord gave this year. And the arrogant among them would say, hey, look, dude, grab a hold of the treasure and say, look, treasure, the Lord didn't give that. I wrote those checks. That was me. I gave that. But it's characterized by Moses as the Lord's contribution. It's a fascinating turn of phrase. Attributing to the Lord the source of these gifts. Now, we're going to talk about gifts and how on earth Calvary Baptist Church ever got here to this wonderful moment. But I'll tell you how we got here. The Lord was out in front giving these gifts. Now, come with me to chapter 35 and verse 30 because it identifies two chaps that helped out on the project. I suppose in the margin of your Bible, next to Exodus 35, 30, you could write Dan and Donna Lickney. But uh, then Moses, here's 35, 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones, for setting, and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. What has God been doing? He has been out in front of this, putting his hand on these two people's lives and equipping them to make a great contribution. I remember the first work lay mission team short term we ever sent out in ministry I was involved in 
was a group we were sending to Canada to hang drywall at a church that was being planted in French Canada. So we loaded them all. We got ready and planned the trip out. And, you know, who wants to go? Who's equipped? Who should we send? And there was a guy new to this church. All I remember is he had red hair. He's about 24 years old and uh, slender fellow. And he, he said, hey, I want to go. And nobody knew who he was. It's like, well, okay, well, let's vet the guy. Let's talk to him. And, and uh, do you know the Lord? And, and uh, we're so happy to have you at church. Tell us about your interest. It's like, here's just a, uh, a young man following Jesus who wanted to go with us. We said, you get in the van and go. What we didn't know was the guy hung drywall like he was a machine. And the general contractor who we sent up there, who had done a lot of work, he went up there and he said, Eric, it was amazing. At the end of the week, I walked back in to that room where we had hung so many sheets of drywall. And I said to myself before I left, how did this happen? How did we ever get here? When they rolled up, it looked like such a daunting task. Well, we'll get as much as done as we can. When they left, it was all hung. And a part of the reason why it was all hung was because that red-haired young man was throwing it up there sheet after sheet after sheet after sheet, and he was amazing. It was like machine work to him. We got back and celebrated, and the team reported. It wasn't a few months later the red-haired man was gone. He moved on to the, another community. It was like, what? I've wondered since if angels have red hair. You know, I mean, I mean, did God just send an angel along to go up with that group? But here's the thing. Right at the moment of need, God was out in front of it and provided it. And that's how we got there. And when it was all over, the general contractor walked in and he said to himself, how did this happen? What happened was greater than the sum of the parts. Now, some of us who've been more at the center of this emerging project and are so excited to be it today have had a sense that God is at work and this is bigger than us and there's more going on than you can add up with the sum of the parts. And it's glorious. It's wonderful. And I want you to taste that today. In one of the first few calls that Dan made as he started trying to put the team together to get this done, he, he texts me back or we talked and he used a phrase. And by the way, I've been challenged. I love to be around big faith people. Dan will often remind me, Eric, our God is big. And he's believing the Lord in the middle of this project. And I, I, I've been edified by that. I've been encouraged. And, and he, 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 he said to me this curious phrase after he was made the first few calls. He said, Eric, it's almost as if somebody has gone before us and is out in front of us. And we're here in that way, and this is what God does. Now, since it's just us kids, let's talk. Nobody looking carefully eight years ago or seven years ago. Nobody looking carefully at the financial statement for Calvary Baptist Church would ever have bet that in the year 2021, all the restricted accounts would be fully up to their appropriate balances as money was given. And not only that, we had commitments and had in hand a pile of cash that was north of a million dollars that was staging to get this job done. Nobody would have bet on that. And there's one explanation for it. And that is God is not finished with the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. And God has brought us under this moment. And if you want to know some of the granular 
stuff under the rocks of Ostraka. Matt has tracked the whole thing, and there have been days where he has wrung his hands and pleaded for the mercy of God, and God has answered with his mercy and brought us unto this place, and God be praised. He's been out in front of this. God did something, and he continues to do something. Now, that's not to say that we're finished with revenue sources. We're going to put this building up. We still need $185,000 to outfit this building, and we're going after it with all of our might. And I am asking you this morning to pray what part God may want you to have with the Lord's contribution. That's how Moses characterizes it in the text. And what do we have that we have not been given? Now, come to verse 34. Let me introduce you to a powerful word. This is the word of the morning. Are you ready? Then. That's it. Then. T-H-E-N. Then what, Moses? He's describing this. Notice what precedes then. So Moses finished the work. Moses led the people to do everything they can do. And we have sought to give ourselves to due diligence and get to this point and do everything that we could do to get here. But we need so much more than the sum of our due diligence to get this done. But it was not until the people of God with Moses did everything that they could do. So Moses finished the work then. Then the cloud covered the tent of the meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It wasn't till they had stretched themselves out, believing God for a great thing and sacrificially given. It wasn't till they got to that point that God acted. And then he acted and he descends. And it is so extraordinary, so marvelous. It outstripped all of their expectations, but they didn't get to then until they had completed everything that they could do. Now, secondly, what should Calvary take away then? If that's crawling into the skin of the story in Exodus 40, what should Calvary take away from this good day of groundbreaking? We'll remember this day. I promise we'll remember. But why should we remember this day? First of all, there's three reasons. And let's remember this day in three different directions. Direction number one, this is a dream meant to be realized. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick but a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. We've had some deferred sickness on this project. Isn't it fair to say that? We've been talking about this, actually, for more than one decade. We formally have been reaching for this. 2012, there was a campaign. Our sole investment, in fact, what this day represents is that some of you have been faithful to give for nine years on this project. And I want you to know that we would not be here if it wasn't for the Lord's contribution through you. This is a dream meant to be realized. Verse 33, so Moses finished the work. He finished a wonderful dream. We've talked about this. We've worked on it. We've talked about developing space for our student ministry. Thank God during the doxology campaign, when we gave extra dollars, we took some of that money and leveraged it on the remodel of the firehouse. I remember the figure, $60,000. 
And that firehouse is a great place where uh, Jason conducts our Ignite Senior High Ministry. And there's, uh, will be, you know, there's always some people coming and going and some people out, some people in, but uh, around 50 kids are over there enjoying that space. And it's wonderful. And we've gotten part of the way there. But can you imagine the benefit I can and I am and I can taste it even before it gets here of having this activity space equipped to walk right across the plaza into the building and just sustain a ministry to the kids. We've dreamed about this space and the, sh uh, the uh, uh, dream has had a long shelf life. It's coming off a shelf to be realized right now. You know, the crass and the wag critic has said, oh, it is said if a person has, but that person has a lot of potential and the wag may snap back. All potential, it is said they have a lot of potential. That's just a person that's never accomplished anything. Well, this has been a potential project for a lot of years, but we are ready to taste the uh, tree of life here, as it were. Uh, a desire fulfilled is the tree of life. This potential is becoming a reality. The second thing I want you to remember is this. This is about a glory meant to be unrivaled. The tabernacle was actually just a tent. The student center will actually just be a building. That's all. The tabernacle was just a tent. It was a simple, non-complex structure. It was ornate, but non-complex. There wasn't much to it. Warren Wiersbe has said, no matter how expensive the tent was, without the presence of God, it was just a tent. Yeah, we're going to put up a building. But there's a glory that we're reaching for in the purposed use of the building. Buildings are famous for being named after individuals. My brother-in-law is an architect, and he was empowered by an institution to design this building that they, they put up. And from the very first meetings, it became very clear why they were putting up this building. This building was a monument to an individual, and they were going to uh, glorify this individual and his investment in this institution. And the name is prominently displayed everywhere, including that middle initial P. You know, had, had be, you know we got we to use the whole enchilada of the name and get it out there. And, and uh, it, 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 we're so good at that in our days. By the way, what should we have put on the temple? Basilel and Aholiab. Worship center. I mean, they did all the artisan work on it. They were the gifted guys that did it. Oh, no, that, they're not the big dogs. The big dog is Moses. Eric, don't forget, a year and a half ago, they're in Egypt as slaves. Fast forward, they're free. And God's going to live among them in this tent. Let's make this the Moses tent of the meeting. Let's put that up. And one could make a good argument for Moses' role. But don't forget, when this thing was all done, Moses couldn't even get in. And God was demonstrating to them that the glory he wanted to be self-evident was his. It was his presence at work in their midst that made that space space. Yes, we're creating some space. And I love space that's purposed for glorious things, for the glory of God to be communicated and experienced. 
by others. As Exodus ends, God made it very clear whose glory was paramount. Verse 35, and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle because the cloud settled in on it. To make sure everyone got it, look at Moses in verse 33. He's finishing the work. Where is he in verse 35? I thought Moses was a great mediator. I thought Moses was the singular one to bring him out. No, no. We would need a mediator greater than Moses to take us in to the presence of God, which is what Hebrews chapter 3 is talking about. It's what we get in Jesus. And please note that the glory was overwhelming. It fills the tabernacle. They couldn't even get in. The spectacle of this experience with God was much greater than they could even imagine. We can't penetrate God's infinite glory. We can only stand back and worship in awe. We beheld his glory, Jesus, glory of the only unique one of the Father, full of grace and truth. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.16 that God dwells in unapproachable light. Moses couldn't approach. But don't miss the fact, and this foreshadows where we're going, Jesus makes God approachable and brings us to him. And that brings us to the last thing we need to remember. This is a facility meant to facilitate. The reason they call them facilities is because they facilitate, they enable us to experience things within them that we couldn't experience if we didn't have the facility. So this is a facility meant to facilitate. Now, I love buildings, but only to the extent that buildings facilitate ministry. What was the tabernacle? What did it mean? It meant two things. Number one, it meant access. Moses had a little tent that he called the tent of the meeting, and the people would watch him meet with God. Exodus 33, 7, he says this. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of the meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of the meeting, which was outside the camp. What that represented was Moses meeting with God. And remember, he had had all this experience on the mountain with God. And they knew he was an old hand at this, and he was good at it. And they knew that they could get in touch with God if they would get around Moses, who would take them there. The tabernacle was access. It was a way to approach God. It's an entrance. It's a portal. It's the chair in the matrix to get in. It's C.S. Lewis's wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the way in. I remember I had a buddy who went to California and took a monster church, and the building was just a huge configuration, and he rolled up, and he was right there. But he couldn't figure out how to get in the building. He was embarrassed. He had to call the office and say, look, i, I got to ask kind of a silly question. How do you get in? 
We're made in the image of God. We have a restless heart, as Augustine prayed, until our heart finds rest in him. And we cruise along in life, and we say, there, there, there's some yearnings in some hearts as God begins to work to know God. We say, how does this happen? How can we do this? Do you just roll up on God? Where's the access? This facility is meant to facilitate access to God through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning on August the 1st, on this great groundbreaking day, would we not remember it? And you've been in and around the building, but you've never come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I invite you to Jesus Christ this morning. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. He said once, I am the door. What did he mean? What is a door for? The door is for access. It's how we get in. And Jesus Christ said, I'm the way to God. Remember, God dwells in unapproachable light. We cannot approach him, but God came after us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and has provided that access. What does Jesus facilitate? He facilitates access to God. If you're here this morning and you've never begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to him, just bowing the head of your heart, saying, God, this morning, I recognize my sin has separated me from you, but I recognize and believe that Jesus in his death has resolved my sin and in believing in him and turning away from my sin, repenting, I come to have life. And this morning, I'm going to walk through the door and believe in Jesus and rely upon him and come to have eternal life. This morning, I received the gift of eternal life. I'd love to talk to you about that this morning if god is at in such work in your heart what does this mean this means access now the second thing it means is presence presence right now ethiopia has put a dam on the blue nile really shaken up sudan and egypt they're fighting over water but they've been working on this hydroelectric dam billions and billions of dollar project to try to get electricity in ethiopia hydroelectricity and um, they had filling phase one, and they just announced they're finished with filling phase two. Slowly, it's capturing the whole reservoir and firing up those turbines, and electricity is being generated, much of the chagrin of Sudan and Egypt. Slowly, the glory of God filled the whole place. So much so, so dominant was the glory of God that everybody knew he was present there. Remember the golden calf issue in Exodus 32? Exodus 32 verse 4 says, the golden calf broke out because the people couldn't see that God was with them. They said, we, you know, we've lost our man, he's gone, so let's get something we can see. We, we want to be around. But they, they felt like his presence wasn't there. So they go off in an idolatrous cul-de-sac of building there's a glorious reality that comes to us when we know the lord hebrews 13 5 says i will never leave you or forsake you when i spoke to deborah if i'm remembering the day right troy was it tuesday night when the lord came for dennis was it wednesday night wednesday when i spoke to thursday uh, when i spoke to deborah soon after god had came for dennis she was there alone. 
but with the Lord. And I reminded her, as is so glorious to remind her, there, when we know the Lord, he goes with us wherever we go. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. God's intent all along was to dwell with the people of God, redeemed and in a recreated world. He tells Moses in Exodus 29 twice, I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. And you get to Exodus 40. What is God doing? He's dwelling among them. He is present there. And isn't that his plan all along in a redeemed, recreated world? At the end of the ages, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That's what Christ has brought. This student activity center facility is a presence for Christ in this community to give access to knowing God. When I get to heaven, by the grace of our Lord, I'm nothing but a miserable sinner doomed to hell were it not for the grace of God and the choice of God to include me and his family and his mercy that opened my heart to him. And I believe based on the authority, the promise of God that when I die, I'll go to heaven and I'll go to be with the Lord. And when I go to be with the Lord and his people, I'm going to look up James C. Hefley. I want to find him. I want to find him. When I loved athletics and didn't love Jesus, as I was a boy growing up, he was writing stories. He was writing stories about athletes who loved Jesus and who had a heart to honor him. And he would produce these little books and these little pamphlets. And my mom would take me to Philip's Christian Bookstore, and, and she'd find one, and she'd give it to me and say, you, you, you need to read this, Eric. Let's buy this today. And I began to read those stories. And as I read those stories, loving activity, loving sports, loving being with others, doing activity and sports, I realized that there were people who loved activity and loved being together and loved having fun who also loved Jesus Christ very much. And it birthed into my heart the wonder and glory of following Jesus Christ. And it all came from a guy's pen who likes sports stories and these figures. He'd write about, and I'm so old, you know, the second baseman for the Yankees was a guy named Bobby Richardson who was on those Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, great baseball teams from the 60s. But a few linear feet from where I was living at the time at Baylor Hospital in Dallas, Texas, when Mickey Mantle was dying, and had no hope. The person he wanted, though he mocked him all through the years, alcoholism had really hurt him, and he used to yell at Bobby across the locker room and say, hey, won't you go out? You can at least drink some milk together with me tonight. And everybody would laugh. But when Mickey was dying, the person he wanted next to his bed was Bobby Richardson, who knew Jesus Christ as his Savior. And Bobby came and led him into a relationship with our Lord. And it's so wonderful. And I, I thought of Hefley, who used to write about those stories. You see, my vision for this building is that a group, a generation, and more, if the Lord should tarry his coming of kids, would be next to people who love Jesus, who had all sorts of outrageous fun with them in that space. And in the end, those kids left thinking about the adventure and glory of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior. That's why we're here. And we're going to throw some dirt in the ground and get underway. Stand with me. Let's pray.
Father, we need your help. To you be the glory for getting us here. And we're weak and you're strong. And I pray for your help. Come near to us today. And bless our efforts to honor you and make you known in our generation. I pray in Jesus' name.